Okay. Well, uh, I, I am having a great time as we go through our series, Making Room. It's a series on Advent, which means coming or arrival as we celebrate the coming of Jesus. And so uh, I am, I'm having a great time. And, and as we start, I want you to think for a second of a time that you beheld something and it took your breath away. A time you beheld something and it took your breath away. And any, any takers out there for what that might have been for you? First baby born. First baby born. That'll do it right there. Yeah, cat. Your first granddaughter, absolutely, absolutely. Something about new life coming to the world. Anyone else? The second baby born. The second baby born. There you go. <laughs> I know for me, of course, uh, when I first beheld my wife, I knew it was from the Lord. Uh, <laughs> she captivated my beauty. Uh, <laughs> um. Another thing, though, right, there's a few things in my life that sent out. Anyone been to the Grand Canyon? The first time I peered over the ledge, I was like, holy cow. I've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon, and now my eyes have seen the Grand Canyon, and I am like, I can't. It, it took my breath away, literally. I was like, oh, my goodness. This is beautiful. You see, we're made to behold beauty. We're made that way in God's image. Like God could have made everything from cardboard and everything be gray and everything taste vanilla only. Right? And we could have gone through life like that. You, all your food could taste like cardboard. Right? All your relationships could just be functional. Right? <laughs> But he didn't make it like that. We're, we're made to explore, to taste, to conquer, to experience, to be captivated, to be in love, right? God made us this way. At our core, that is what God designed us to experience in worship. The Bible says this in Psalm 34, verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say, worship the Lord without taste and see that the Lord is boring. That's not what it says. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he's good. And often we, we read that and we're like, mm, that's a good verse. No, no, it's taste and see that he's good. Taste and see. It's an invitation. When Jesus called Nathaniel, he said, come and see. Come and see. There's an invitation from God with his, with his people to behold and taste and see and experience God's goodness and God's power and God's glory. You know, that word Advent means coming or arrival, and at Christmas, we celebrate something that is absolutely a miracle. God came to the earth so he could perfectly demonstrate the heart of the Father. And he came to the earth 
to die for your and my sins. He came to the earth so you and I as ordinary people could have access to God by having our sins forgiven and coming to him in relationship. That is absolutely a miracle. That's what we celebrate. And so this Advent series, we are looking at stories of people who made room for that God who came to the earth who wants a relationship with you and I, stories of people that made room to behold him. And I'm inviting us and we're inviting you to make space for him in this busy season as well. Today we're going to look at the story of the Magi and, or the wise men, right? As they, uh, as they, um, and we're going to learn from how they worshipped Jesus. So turn to Matthew chapter 2 as we go to this story that may be familiar for many of you. Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read it starting in verse 1. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He told them, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So it's a story of these, these magi, these, these wise men coming from afar to worship and lay down gifts, right, at, at, at the birth uh, or at the newborn Jesus and celebrate him and worship him. Now for some context, these magi, also known as wise men, were likely astronomers. And in fact, most scholars would say that there probably wasn't just three of them, although we often think that because three gifts were given. Uh, but in fact, there was likely a multitude of wise men or astronomers who came from the East. Many scholars would also say, coming from the East, that it's likely that many of them were actually Jews, who uh, believers who had been exiled uh, for generations and now living in the East, and they came to worship the coming of the Savior that they had been awaiting. And here's one of the big ideas I want us to grasp from this story 
of not only you know, celebrating the birth of Jesus, but the story of these people who came to worship, and that's this. Worship is a response to the truth and revelation of who God is and what he does. Worship is a wholehearted response to the revelation and truth of who God is and what he does. And I was thinking about the intrigue of these these astronomers. They came from a far land. They were likely wealthy, kind kind of statesmen, and they came from a far traveling, sacrificing greatly, and these important people bowed down when they saw this child. All for this child. It makes me think they had a revelation that this child was not any child. It just makes me think they weren't just going to a church service. They had a revelation that this was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They had a revelation that this child was exceedingly great and this event would change all of history. So therefore, their worship was sacrificial and extravagant and great because they had a great revelation of who God is. I think even about different religions around the world. There are some religions that, that grasp a part of this. They'll go on great pilgrimages around the world to go to, in essence, a worship event, right? But for us, often in the church, especially for those who grew up in the church, I believe we often get a little too familiar with God. Or at least we think we're familiar with God. We hear teachings that talk about God coming to the earth. We hear teachings of a God who died on the cross and rose from the dead three days later. We hear teachings of a God who created us. And we're like, I know that. Got that. Like, give me something good, preacher. Give me something fresh. Give me something I haven't heard already. I already know all that, right? And here's... Here's my challenge to us. Do do we really know him in those ways? Like we think we're familiar with God. Do we really know our creator? Who made the heavens and the earth? Do we really understand that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God? Do we really understand what that means? Do we really understand the fear of the Lord? What that means? And it says in Proverbs 1, that's the beginning of wisdom. Do we really understand the miracle of Scripture? And like how, what a miraculous book, like scientifically, even this is and how reliable it is. Do we understand and know the hundreds of prophecies that were made about Jesus coming hundreds of years before he was born? Do we understand that? Do we understand what it means for God to come to earth? Like that's heresy in certain religions and you could be killed in some countries if you believe that. Have we taken for granted who our God is and his kindness and his mercy? Do we know what it is to stand in the manifest presence of God? 
Because in the Old Testament, at times when the glory filled the temple, they couldn't even stand up. Do we know what it means to enter the most holy place? Because at times, people could barely live because the presence of God was so strong and he's so holy. Do we understand what it means for God to be holy? We sing holy, but do we know a holy God? Do we understand the power of the Holy Spirit that it says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me? Have we begun to even tap into the power that's inside of us? How about the thought of Jesus who's coming back again? I think most of us believe that. Scripture says it. Do we, have we even begun to comprehend a Savior who's coming back for the world and going to create a new heaven and new earth? Do we really already know who God is? Or have we gotten too familiar with our ideas about God? My friends, there is more. There is more of God to taste and see. There is more of God to experience. There is more of God, right? If we're bored in our faith, I believe God wants to put an invitation out there because we are barely scratching the surface, if at all. Psalm 96 says, to ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name, to worship him in the splendor of his holiness. There is more, but we often don't believe it or know it, and so we go through the same motions, not expecting God to show up, not expecting God to interrupt our plan. Um, We need a shaking at times of our view of God. You see, I, I believe our worship is often dull because our view of God too low and our revelation of him too little. I love this quote by Pastor John Tyson. He says, unless you break down the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you will never be drawn to pray. The angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years and they still haven't gotten past the word holy. If we're bored with God, you may be the person who is boring. Or it could be that you're just too distracted by the trivial nature of our culture. When you break through that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of who our God is. I love Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, the friendship of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Another translation says, the secret of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Or the secret counsel of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Now think practically for a second. Do you go sharing your deepest secrets with, with just anyone? They, people might have a general knowledge of you, but you're not gonna go sharing your deepest secrets with someone that doesn't care to be in your presence, right? Like, you're, I, I mean, we do it a little too much sometimes on social media, and I'm like, all right, rein it in a little bit, but we, we, really, we, we don't wanna share our secrets with people that don't care to be in our presence because we want to know that they care about the depths of our heart. And so it is with God. We're made in his image. We have a general revelation of him, but for those that want to go into the depths, those that care to prioritize his presence like the Magi did, 
I believe he wants to pour out revelation that will absolutely blow our mind and put to death the boredom that we have with church and following God. God wants to break our boxes of him. God wants to blow us away in the presence of God. Well, we hear that we're worshiping for all of eternity and we feel a little sick to our stomach and bored. It's because there's a gap in what we're gonna experience then and what we're seeing now. And I get it, we're humans, we see in part, so like I, I, I'm preaching to myself today, but I'm putting out an invitation to see what the Magi were seeing even in part and that, 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 that brought their extravagant worship. There is more. So we've talked about God being the focal point of our worship, of elevating our worship by elevating our view of who he is. And now I wanna learn a few more lessons from the Magi and how they engaged God in worship. Number one, worship is relational. I wanna just contrast for a minute the scribes who were uh, the, the kind of the teachers, some of the teachers of the word, they knew the word deeply. I want to contrast them and the Magi. You see, the scribes, they, were, they knew the scriptures, but were uninterested in meeting the Messiah. They knew all about him in their heads, yet it didn't result in them wanting to go even see him. They were leaders, they were church leaders. They were preachers. They, you know, they, they, they'd been around, grown up in the synagogue, whatever. But they didn't care to even go see him. They didn't care for relationship. Yet the Magi, they pressed on to see Jesus. They traveled afar. They risked, uh, put their lives in danger with her. They, they went far to see this Savior because Knowing about him wasn't enough. They wanted to know him. You see, there's a lot of things that our worship can become. Our worship can become about ritual. Our worship can become about having some emotional experience that we need to drum up. Our, emotion, or our worship can become about obligation. Our worship can um, feel, you know, I, I do that when I need something from God. But let me kind of frame it like this. Whenever our worship becomes primarily about something other than relationship, we need a little course correction. It's okay. Some of those other things aren't bad. Ritual helps us, right, at times. Coming to God with our needs is absolutely what we should be doing. But I want to encourage us, whenever we get sidetracked on all the other things and it stops being about a relationship, but is to come back in to that place. Worship is about relationship. At its core, worship it is, a, it is a two-way exchange of me enjoying God and him enjoying me, of, of me being blown away by his nature again and again and again, of him pouring out his, his loving presence upon me. When we go to scripture, we can go just to fill our head or we can go to fill our head and our heart in relationship. What if we went to the word to say, God, I I can't wait to learn about you word by word, line by line, chapter by chapter, again and again, because every sentence is showing me a part of who you are. 
And in the hard parts of Scripture that we don't like, what if instead of canceling them out, we said, maybe I'm not God, and maybe I don't know the best way to run the universe, so maybe there's something about you that I can learn here. Because, you see, it's in those parts we dig deep wells in our soul of worshiping him. Or how about in worship, right? It's, it's falling in, it's a relationship, it's falling into his nature and character and talking to him and being honest with him and bring ourselves to him and him, like I said, pouring his love out on us. You see, without worship, we'll never get to know God. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said this, in the process of being worshiped, God communicates his presence to men. It says he's lifted up, as he's revered in our lives, he pours out revelation of who he is into our heart. As I was praying over this service today, I just felt this simple phrase came to my mind that I felt like it was from the Lord. Like he said, I want my people to get to know me more. I want my people to get to know me more. It's like God wanted to say that, and it was so simple. I want my people to get to know me more. You see, uh, for those of you who are married, you can understand this is the cycle that often happens, right, is uh, we, we, we meet someone, like I said about my wife earlier, and it's like, all right, you know, we go on that first date, right? All the feels are happening. All the excitement are happening. You're trying to impress that person. They're trying to impress you, you know? And, and uh, for those of us men, we're pursuing, we're pursuing, we're pursuing, we're pursuing. You know, we seal the deal with an engagement, and then we really seal the deal with marriage, and then we're like, I'm done. I, 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 I sealed the deal, I win, right? And then at best, often relationship plateaus. And the pursuit stops. And the being curious about who the other person is stops. Because life legitimately gets busy and we got our own issues and junk. And then it's kind of like slowly moves towards some type of functional cohabitation, right? And then we try to slap Jesus in the middle of that and just hope it's going well, right? That's what often happens in our relationship with God. We meet him. We encounter him. We know what it means to have our sin forgiven and be a new creation, and the feels are happening, and it's awesome. And We learn some kind of spiritual disciplines along the way. And we're, we're loving the word, and we're being with him, and then life happens. We hit a wall, and dysfunction happens, and our brokenness happens, and we just kind of float. And we kind of say, well, I already know all that right? I'm familiar with all that. And God's saying here, I want to pour out so much more on you. And he's waiting. And that's the beauty of Christmas is that God came to us so that we could have full access to him. We, it's, it's not on us, right? It's, or it's, uh, it's not on God not knowing him more. It's on us, right? It's the extent we want is the extent we'll often have in our experience with God. He has torn the veil and opened it up by coming to the earth. Second thing we learn is that worship is costly. Worship is costly. They came bearing gifts, right? Um, gold, frankincense, myrrh. You know, it's that Christmas song talking about he's out in the cold. They came to bring silver and gold. Like, why didn't he bring a blanket, right? 
he's cold. It's like, here's gold, you know? Uh, we're familiar, though, with this, uh, you know, through the Christmas songs we sing, it came, bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This was a high cost. It was a high cost to them in their worship. Obviously, gold is costly. It was then as it is now. But many scholars would argue that frankincense and myrrh was actually more costly than gold. You see, frankincense and myrrh comes from a specific type of tree that was in Arabia, that is in Arabia. And so it was very rare. And so that's actually how, uh, many scholars would say, that's how many of the trade routes opened up was to get frankincense from Arabia out into the world. It was a very costly and treasured and rare thing. And so they came pouring these gifts out to Jesus of high cost. Worship will require something from us. Throughout scripture, when we see worship, there's often an offering, right? An offering throughout scripture where they came and they brought something. They brought a sacrifice. They brought an offering of some type. And in the New Testament, Romans 12 says that we're to surrender ourselves and our lives as an offering. And that's our acceptable form of worship. To worship will be costly. To worship costs us parts of our lives so that we can get something better in return. Worship might cost us people's opinion of us because you see it's hard to please everyone in our lives and yet please Jesus at the same time. Which, by the way, it's a whole lot more freeing when you deal with that and a whole lot more stressful. <laughs> or a lot more. I said that backwards. It's a whole lot more freeing and a whole lot less stressful when you decide who the main person is you're trying to please. So worship might cost us people's opinion of us. Worship might cost us our comfort. Like, we love to worship when the band is rocking, right? We love to worship, right, when, when life is good, things are going great. Thank you, God. I'm hashtag blessed, all those things. But when life is hard, when trauma is happening around us or in the culture around us, when we lose a loved one, which I'm not, I'm not trying to say I have all the answers for, worship all of a sudden becomes really costly, Reminded as I was praying about this message and preparing this of a story. Um, I'm friends with a family named the Gullies. They have a bunch of boys and a number of them. Um, one of them pastors at Antioch in, in Texas. And uh, one of them is our worship leader down here in San Diego. They had five boys and one of the boys died when he was in his early 20s um, on a mission trip that I was on of, of a heart issue suddenly died in the middle of an outreach. And the family was close. They loved Jesus. The dad had overcome being an alcoholic for many years. A really broken family, but just a, a, the praying mom <laughs> prayed into the whole family. They're all following Jesus now. One of their sons dies unexpectedly. And this guy, Ed, who's the dad who had been an alcoholic and just a powerful life transformation story, he pulls the family together crying and he says, this is gonna be a journey but we're not gonna stay in bitterness. 
We are going to trust God and we are going to worship God even when it's hard. And it was a journey for that family. And because I know Carl and some of the other, the, other, the other boys who are now, they're all older than, most of them are older than me. I've gotten to walk, watch some of their journey and they're all loving Jesus and God has done a great thing. But they chose to worship him in their storm and because of that they made it through their storm. Worship is costly. Worship will be inconveniencing at times. It'll cost us our convenience, right? Like if we're gonna, if we're gonna stop and worship, it's just gonna be practically inconvenient at times. Like it's not convenient that you came here this morning. Y'all got stuff to do, gifts to buy, right? Family get-togethers, work get-togethers, the 25 Christmas parties that you have with all the various people, right? You've got pounds to put on this Christmas. We got stuff to eat. We've got stuff to do, right? And it is not convenient to come to come worship, right? I love this Eugene Peterson quote. He said this, worship and prayer is the time and place in which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is a time and place that we assign for deliberate attentiveness to God. Not because he's confined to time and space, but because our self-importance is so insidiously uh, relentless that we don't, sorry, that if we don't, Deliberately interrupt ourselves regularly, we have no chance in attending to him at all in other times and places. I love that. We've, worship is the intentional interruption of our lives so that we can attend to his presence. You see, worship isn't something we give the overflow of our lives from because in reality, without him, I don't have much overflow. Anyone, anyone say amen? Like if you try, if I go a week without trusting God, my, my uh, overflow gets to an underflow, whatever that means. Uh, there is not much uh, extra joy happening in the tank for me. Uh, worship isn't our overflow, it's our first fruits that we give to him. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all of these other things we worry about will be added to us. Thirdly, worship requires perseverance. Move through these, these end parts quickly here. But just thinking, you know, they, they followed for a long time. Most um, scholars would think that it was months at least into Jesus' birth that they got there, and so they saw the star. It probably took months of travel for them to get there. And then they get there, and they led to Jerusalem. And they have to talk to Herod, who's not a great guy. And uh, then Herod puts them on this selfish mission because Herod's really actually insecure. And they go, and finally they get there and meet Jesus. They had to persevere along the way. To have intimacy with Jesus in and out of season will require perseverance. Like just for me in my own time with God, I know I'm a pastor, it takes perseverance. Like I can get like so, you know, squirrel, right? So quickly in my time with God. Like it's hard to pray to a God we can't see. Like let's be honest. 
Like prayer is hard. It's like why, this seems so simple. Like every morning I feel like this should be so simple and it's so hard sometimes, right? It takes perseverance to get to know God. Then in season by season to know God in every season, that takes its own perseverance. Because you see, Life doesn't always happen the same every season and so I'm knowing God one way and then all of a sudden we hit a wall or like we experience trauma or like life gets screwed up and we have to like learn a different way that we need to approach God or learn a new tool set or different things. It takes perseverance to be in love with Jesus for decades upon decades. And that's the beauty of the journey is that in every season when we're on a pilgrimage with him, he keeps revealing himself in different ways season after season after season. I love Psalm 84 verse five in the NIV. It says this, blessed are those whose strength is in you whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. And that's who we want to be. We want to be pilgrimage people with Jesus. We reach our ultimate destination of being more in love with him every season. Because in each season, we're choosing perseverance to find him along the way. Lastly, worship satisfies our deepest longings. Verse 10 in our, in our passage of chapter 2, it says this, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Just the thought of being close to Jesus, of getting close to the point that they could worship brought great joy to their hearts. Seeing God's hand and bringing this star brought great joy to their hearts. You see, we, we search for joy in a whole lot of places, right? They're not all bad. I love food, any food people. I just love to eat to the glory of God, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Some of y'all, you know, you can join me. I like to eat. Sometimes I search for joy with food. We just uh, finished the eight series, eight season uh, show of Psych. Any Psych fans out there? Wow, y'all need to catch up on Psych. <laughs> Jacob likes Psych. Thanks. We just watched the eight uh, eight series, eight season thing, Psych, and. It felt like we were like breaking up with, with people at the end of it. It's like, I don't want this to end. I don't want to find a new show. It's like hard enough to find a clean show that I can watch with Jesus, you know, and feel okay about it. Uh, so I don't want this to end, right? Like I was, I was like having these emotional sadness points and withdrawals, right? But you see, like what will ultimately satisfy us is not watching another movie it's not getting the car we think we need. It's not getting the right degree. It's not your kids going to the right school. It's not having our bank account in a certain position. Like, of course those things matter. Like, I'm not discounting that. Like, we, we do those things. But that doesn't meet the ultimate needs of our heart. Like, we've all been around enough to have gotten what we wanted and then like three days later need something else, right? Anyone been there? It's like a, a bucket with a hole in it. You can keep filling it up and your feet will keep getting wet and you'll keep filling it up because you got holes in the bucket, right? If we're gonna plug the holes in our bucket, we need to find contentment in Jesus. 
His presence is the thing that can ultimately satisfy our hearts, right? Look at Herod. Here's a great example. Here's a guy. He's powerful. He's a great leader, right? Historians would say he, he, was, he was known you know, as Herod the Great. He was a great leader, excellent administrator. The dude was insecure, like another king comes along, he freaks out and he starts manipulating. The dude actually killed some of his family members because uh, he was concerned that they didn't, you know, love him and, and, and weren't supporting him. The dude was a mess. He had it on the outside, but on the inside, his, holes, his bucket was filled with holes. We need to find contentment in him, peace comes, the peace we sing about at Christmas, doesn't come from pleasing everyone with the perfect presence. It comes from the presence of Jesus. This isn't easy like for the Speeder family. If you're new here, that's my last name. I'm not talking about a family that goes fast. I'm talking about us. Like we want the best for our kids, and we want the best for ourselves. We want the best for the church. Like, we want to make y'all happy sometimes, you know what I mean? And season after season, we're brought back to putting what we think is best on the altar and what we think is best for our kids on the altar and what we think is best for us on the altar and all of our preference sets and our own desires. That's not bad and God often speaks to those but we have to put those on the altar, our own like, you know, security and safety and I'm gonna make everything perfect for me. We put that on the altar again and again because honestly, me trying to make all those things happen for me does not result in peace. I can have the most secure life on the outside but if there's not worship happening on the inside, we'll be a family in chaos that looks great. Great to everyone else, but not great on the inside. You see, what we ultimately want, what we're made for, is the presence of God. And I want to invite us today as we end to follow the footsteps of these magi to worship him and be enamored by him. Jake, if you want to come on up. <clears throat> My question for some of us is, where has our view of him been too low? Where has our worship grown dull? So I was praying, I just, if I God put this picture in my mind of our hearts being like these, these, this fire with some coals that are still warm but not ablaze and the wind of the Spirit blowing on those coals and igniting a fire again in our hearts. And for some of us, our love for God in the chaos of our world and our culture and Christmas and holiday parties and things, some of us, our love has gotten a little cold, our love for God. But I believe God wants to blow on it today. What in your life has been choking the work of God? Let's just take a second as Jacob's strumming and maybe there's something we need to repent from or turn from that's choking our, our relationship with God so that we can turn to a majestic, beautiful God again. 
Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's pleasing everyone this season. I don't know what it is. Just take that to Jesus for a minute. 